your first book, you looked like a genius because you wrote about the corruption, how this whole thing is going to crumble right before 2008. Yeah. Uh, and and you pretty much talked about hip, the hypocrisy, big picture wise, like what they what Wall Street's telling you what to do. They're doing the complete opposite. And so that's probably what got you started in this, like what the banks are telling you to do. They're telling you to do one thing, but yet their tier one assets, which you, I hope you'll delve into. Yeah. They're like they're putting all their safest assets into life insurance. Yeah. Yeah, and gold and things like that. So it's you know it's it's, it's do as I say, not as I do. And um, as Thomas Jefferson said, you know, banking establishments are more dangerous than standing armies. And Henry Ford said, if people really understood the banking system and the Federal Reserve, I have no doubt there'll be revolution by tomorrow morning. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you. I Now, man, I don't even know how to open this thing up. I, I think of like Joe Rogan. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of my shows go like 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. And I have totally taken time limits off. We will go until you tell me to stop. Okay. Um, but you, my friend, are incredible. So thank you for making it here and... Um, I don't even know where to begin. I, I don't, maybe you want to like give a little bit of context on who you are. I, I just want to tee you up in this. When I left the bank and in the process of seeking truth, um, I don't know if you know this, but I have a hard time reading and your books almost put me to the grave. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't mean to do that. <laughs> if you would have seen this first book of yours, I have um, highlights. I had to re reread chapters and um, to be totally frank, I'm not sure I um, comprehended everything, sure. but I'm telling you, I, I opened up this this um, conversation with you before we started recording saying, are you afraid that um, people are going to come after you? And we've seen some crazy cases of people committing suicide. And um, I, uh, you have some pretty insane things that you've done research on. And Thank I'm you. telling you, out of all the people that I've interviewed, you are the most researched and um, so I just wanted to tell you up with Thank that, you. man. I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So before we jump into what you write about, can you give a little bit of context on your, your backstory? And I, I've heard some of your other interviews and you start right like out of college. I'm actually curious, what, what, how did you grow up? How did you like, what was your parents? What did they do? And why yeah. did you get into the financial service business to begin with? I never thought I would get into it, to be honest with you, right, Caleb. Uh, I, you know, I grew up in uh, Andover, Massachusetts, and um, yeah, I had great parents, um, really wonderful, hardworking uh, parents. My Actually, my father was Marine uh, during World War II, and uh, uh, he went through Guadalcanal, tough, tough guy, very, very disciplined. Thank you, God, uh, for um, uh, his power of example. And... Um, and he ended up being executive, believe it or not, for John Hancock in uh, pensions and so forth. Had no idea what I would get into this business. Um, unfortunately, he died of, when I was young he, of cancer. He was never very strong guy, um, extremely strong. Ha had a heart of a goal. There wasn't really a churchgoer, Caleb, but he was a Christian as you're ever going to meet. And then I had a mother. Um, she was uh, and um, was wonderful. She was an automotive accountant and. Uh, Great, great work ethic. Um, grew up in a great town. Had a brother. Um, I had a great, you know, I was, I was a hockey player. I was very, 
was one of those kids who used to tear, um, take apart things and figure out how things worked, you know, and I think that's kind of, kind of um, um, foreshadows my research in today because I want to see how things really work. And uh, so I had a, you know, great town and, you know, and I could never figure out how people like in the front two, uh, uh, church pews got to where they were, but a lot of, a lot of it had to deal with money and I just really didn't know the mysteries of this stuff. And, um, it was, it was a wonderful, um, wonderful place to grow up and had great family, but I lost my father at a young age, um, right when I got out of college and my mother got a stroke, you know, so in my, in my right around your age, Caleb, I essentially had lost my father and I had to take care of my mom. And then, um, but I, yeah, and so, and so, I had a really great childhood, but then my kind of things uh, in my twenties, my life kind of exploded with a lot of responsibilities and so forth. So, um, you know, and but I get into technology first of all, and I actually was in I sold communication systems, um, and I was like, and I was good at sales, and um, I was like one of the top uh, uh, reps in the country when I was 25, 26 years of age, like your age, and. Um, um, but um, I moved on. I got involved in a high-tech startup. Sold missile parts uh, for. I traveled around the country selling missile parts to, and I spent a lot of time in Southern California, and um, uh, primarily because that was the big where the aerospace industry was, and in Chicago and Texas somewhat. But um, but that you know I I went through some you know I got kicked out of that company, went through another company, and I got got really got my hat handed to me and. Um, I always wanted to be self-employed, and um, I got into this business, um, in life insurance business, at a very, very tough time. Um, but yeah, and, and but I was determined to succeed, and I just I worked my ass off to be successful. And like in 1982 or thereabouts, 83, I was rookie of the year from, uh, for Prudential, and then I left them and joined New England Life and started a pension business. And sold us back in Wing Life in '89, and then I, I lost my brother, uh, who I was very, very close to, uh, in '89. And I had actually life insurance in his life, and actually I used that life insurance proceeds uh, to set up a third-party administration firm, which became successful. And um, you know, in the meantime, I got married, had three kids, and the whole thing. And uh, but I was working all the time, and. Um, uh, in, in 19, uh, and then launched the third party administrator, became really very successful. My accountant wanted to put on the Inc. 500, <laughs> but I had a partner and that was, it was a, it was, um, and we eventually broke up. That was very difficult and uh, the lawyers always win. And um, uh, then I went through, I had three wonderful kids and I went through some traumatic times and um, um Reinvented myself because I had a I had a big benefits business. I was actually doing benefits for for publicly traded companies um, and a lot of venture capital startups. I, I was actually made a lot of money in that business. That whole changed and uh, set up a registered investment advisor in 2001, which I still have today uh, to do uh, financial planning. But then I went through a divorce and I was I went, my life was a book of Job. You know, I lost everything. Okay. So I had a kind, and so I, so I, but I was introduced to a lot of good people at the time. I, Robert Castellone, I was an elite guy, and because um, I was in the pension business, I, I understood numbers. And um, as a matter of fact, just before our call, I was I was doing a, uh, some numbers for pension plans for some doctors in the South, but um, and I still do some of that today. But um, 
but I, I intuitively knew a lot of the stuff which, which was sold by Wall Street, the mutual funds, the 401ks, all this stuff. They didn't work. Intuitively, I knew they didn't work. And, I, and at the time, Caleb, um, this is back uh, uh, years ago, uh, 20, 30, 25 years ago, if you had a retirement plan, you had a lot of money. It was the worst place in the world. You could have it from repositioning from, from, from estate taxes. But this is so, and I owned the pension business and I said, well, two is, and I grew the thing and I got rid of it essentially because there was so much red tape and I, I figured I wasn't really making any money on this. If the owner had the, the lot of money in the plane, it was really the highest place to be taxed. So who's making all the money? So through my introduction to uh, Leap, and then my own, uh, and then my introduction to Nelson Nash, um, I was very blessed, and I realized when Bob Castellone taught me from the uh, the movement of uh, money that a lot of this stuff is a bunch of crap, and it yeah. is. Um, and um, and then I learned really from an economic point of view um, that. Um, uh, life insurance and uh, was really the only things that worked, and and then I had really good mentors. Uh, uh, Nelson Nash, we became good friends. You know, it was, it was a blessing in my life. I was going through a very very di difficult time. So so I wrote the first. So I started researching. This. So at the time I was separated, I went through a divorce. Went through a horrible divorce, and I, I have three beautiful children out of that, and ex wife, and I wish her the best. Um, I had to reinvent myself. Yeah. You know, so I had had this big, big income. I lost everything and I had to reinvent myself. And I said, well, what does work? I said, well, you know, annuities insurance worked. And then all I and then I started read. Um, I was at a um, conference out of the uh, Coronado, Coronado Del Mar, which the, you know, in San Diego, you ever been out there, uh, Caleb? Yep. The yeah, Del, the, the, yeah, I was at, you know, that beautiful, that there's a beautiful, like, uh, Dining room, whatever it's, it was. I, I guess the first place where Thomas Edison actually put light bulbs in, believe it or not, in a mm. hotel. But I was at a breakfast meeting one day and a late meeting, and someone said about the Federal Reserve and how it wasn't federal and there were not no reserves. I said, "What are you guys talking about?" So when what what year was this when you got like? I would say well, actually, this was probably around. Oh, gee was um. This is probably like oh in the early '90s or so. Okay. Okay. Um, so you you start getting introduced to so this is before you start your registered investment firm. Yeah. Yeah. This is before I started. Right around. Yeah, because I had I had a successful group practice. Okay, so I was just getting to leap because I and because I saw it was a way to make it be more assistance to people. And, and so the so, whole Federal Reserve started this whole rabbit hole of research. And it's just a big freaking scam. You know, and so, and so, what you see, what's happening today, is just um, they're they've crossed the Rubicon, uh, Caleb, and, and now they're buying bonds today. You know, this week, you know, corp buying corporate bonds and they're buying ETFs and the whole thing, and they're they're bailing out their buddies in Wall Street once again. So I understood this stuff, but I figured if I didn't speak up about it, it'd be a sin. Yeah. So I you know, don't ask me to change the oil in my car, but I can tell how the banking system works, or or mutual fund company works, or insurance company works. I just don't know, okay? Um, yeah, I, I want to just point something out. If you think you're smart or if you think you know a lot about money, uh, be humbled, buy uh, Barry's books, and uh, tap out. <laughs> I, and by the way, that's that's why there's no time limits on this thing because, sure. my goodness, man, like you go in so in-depth 
when, so when did you start researching? Did you like, when you heard about the federal reserve, there being no reserve, it kind of being a scam Did that like start research. How do you research? Number one, like do you have bias when you go into it or like, how do you come up with these massive books going into things that are, I mean, yeah, you can find it on Google, but you must've done some deep, deep research going in back doors because what? some of the stuff that you write about, I, I try to Google. It's like, it's nowhere. They've taken it down. Some of the stuff they've taken it down already. Yeah. Kayla, which is kind of frightening, which they have. Um, so actually gets back to my father, you know, love my father, you know, because when I was taking care of him, when he was dying of cancer, he used to, we used to talk, we have long talks and we watch Sunday night football together and stuff. He was very loving. I had a great father and, um, you know, and uh, I was taking care of him when he was dying of cancer. He said, all the world's problems get back to economic ones. And this is why we went to war, you know, in, in the World War II and the whole thing. And um, and so it, re- it really made, and, and, and I agreed with them. And, and and so it was really a passion that was given to me by my father. And then I said, well, heck, you know, I, 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 was, I was in a crazy time in my life. I said, what else am I going to do? So I said, I'm also researching everything. So I had a hunch and I heard something about banks owning life insurance and things like that. And, and I had nothing to go on, Caleb, okay, at the time. So having a, a benefits company, I knew you had to be bold, and I've gotten a lot of clients that have been bold over the years. Um, I, um, so I started researching it on the internet. Thank you, God, for the internet. Thank you, God. And um, so, and this is the time you had to pay five bucks for a Wall Street Journal article. You couldn't get online yet. So I kept it, and I had no money at the time. So I'm actually getting four or five articles and paying 25 bucks for an article on the time for the, for the Wall Street Journal. And I said, holy moly, look at all these banks are buying life insurance and no one's talking about it. So then I started coming up the life brokers I knew were involved in the space. They wouldn't talk to me. And then I started, and I, then I knew some of, the, some of these big brokers, uh, they, were, they wouldn't talk to me. So I called New York Life, who was big in the space, Mass Mutual, Northwestern, and all these other companies, and no one would talk to me. So make a long story short, so I so I found out that some of this, the bank balance sheets had to be disclosed on, um, someone gave me a tip about the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And no one really talked to me, they're kind of geeks. But there was this woman down there, she was this, I forget what her name is, you know, God bless her in heaven. And and I so. I needed help and I wasn't really good on computers and stuff. But so I sent her flowers and candy and stuff like that. And so how do I download this stuff? And so, uh, so I was, I was able to download all this stuff. I said, Oh my God, what have I found? And so I found all these banks, um, and, uh, we're buying these monstrous amounts of life insurance, but conversely, this is around 2003 or four Caleb. Okay. So I started re- researching this, and um, I'm a researcher, and this is just right after the, the dot-com meltdown. I mean, yep. 85 yeah, cents every... Your first book, you looked like a genius because you wrote about the corruption, yep. how this whole thing is going to crumble right before 2008. Yeah. Uh, and and you pretty much talked about hip- the hypocrisy, big picture-wise. Like, what, they, what Wall Street's telling you what to do, they're doing the complete opposite. And so that's probably what got you started in this, like, what the banks are telling you to do, they're telling you to do one thing, but yet their tier one assets, which you, I hope you'll delve into, yeah. they're like they're putting all their safest assets into life insurance. Yeah, 
yeah, and gold and things like that. So it, it's you know it's, it's it's do as I say, not as I do. And um, and to me, th these guys are just they're just bullies, you know. And the whole thing is, I wish hopefully through your work, whatever we can wake people up. You know, as Thomas Jefferson said, you know, banking establishments are more dangerous than standing armies. And Henry Ford said, if people really understood the banking system and the Federal Reserve, I have no doubt there'd be revolution by tomorrow morning. So, so anyway, so I had to research this stuff. And um, if you study history, banking has been a problem throughout history. And but um, but this this uh, you know, so I started reading the creature from Jekyll Island and. Um, uh, the case against the Fed by um, uh, one of um, Ed Griffin's. Uh, so I started reading it from multiple sources. So uh, I said, oh, what's going on here? No one's really, no one really understood this stuff. And so I said, well, geez, I'll just plow in. And so at the time, I, uh, it was a t difficult time in my life. So I just researched and read everything I get my hands on. And that's how the seeds of the first book came out. Then, but then with Nelson Nash, when I, came, when I dug up all the, what, the bank-owned life insurance, says you know you just you know he was a good christian man he said barry you got to continue this and so i did and um um and so uh so i i published self-published the book and and i i did introduction in may of 2007 in birmingham alabama is when i released the book and um it took off you know and i and since then i think i've sold 33,000 copies and 23 countries, something like that, Caleb, whatever. Just self self publishing, you know, so there is very powerful in the net. Um, so, but so what you realize is that, uh, but what has happened, um, Caleb, now what did your dad do? Were you, were your dad, was a PhD, was he in the, he's an academic or? Yeah, uh, researching biology and works with vitamin companies. Okay, so I don't know if he has like a defined benefit pension plan or, whole, or anything like that, if he does, whatever. But but what what I discovered, uh, Caleb, what is, which has been essentially uh, since really nineteen eighties or whatever. And by the way, for the every your listeners out there, I'm a political atheist. Okay, and you know they're all you know. So I'm just not I'm not going there. Okay, but so so what happened is the um, but what I discovered, Caleb, all the stuff which I learned when I first got in the financial planning business and and insurance businesses and all that stuff is that the the primary concerns when I first started were, you know, were protection and, you know, really taking care of people's life insurance needs and the disability income and setting retirement plans, make sure your savings and all that stuff, Caleb, since it has all been abandoned. And every, the only way people are supposed to save today is in the market. Well, good luck. It, it's just um it, 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 it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're stepping into a cesspool, but that cesspool has been supported by the Fed. So, you know, it's, um, I'm, I'm not against the market. You know, I like my iPhone. I like my Google, uh, you know, uh, I, I like my technology. Um, but it's, 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 there's no difference between savings and investing anymore as far as Wall Street concerned. They want everyone to put their money in the market. And I see, the, have you seen the silliness of where they put like a billion dollars into Robin Robin Hood threw into hurt stock. I yeah, it's it's nuts what's going on. It's you know stupid. You know. So let me. So I'm gonna read what you wrote in your second book. Okay. Tee us up, but then I want to go. I, I went through both of your books, okay. and I I I want to tee up some some controversial 
things that you've talked about, but then really go through them in depth. Like I said, this is not going to be like um, the people that listen to this. I, it's going to be like a masterclass and okay. which I'm excited about, but this is a, this is what I probably should have opened up the podcast with um, in your, in your second book, you, you write about in the overview, you say, in short, 401k retirement plans funded with mutual funds has become a highway of serfdom. Now, I had to research what serfdom meant. It's another word for slavery. Uh, not much different from when the Egyptian pharaohs had people sacrifice their lives to build their pyramids. And Barry, the reason why I highlighted that is I could summarize both your books with that quote that you wrote. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. And this is, you know, the retail investor, you know, um, and the people who really know what's going on, I, I would I, I would stick to that, um, you know, and it's probably true, unfortunately. And I think I emailed you uh, the, uh, the past weekend that enough stuffing and they're getting the, the doors been open to stuff private equity into target date funds. I mean, this is insane. This is, this. you know, I, I'm no, believe me, I'm no saint, but this is, um, these guys are being bullies and, and Putting private equity into a target date fund is like giving a six-year-old a circular saw. And you can yeah. quote me on that one. You know, and so these things are very dangerous. Um, and people say, what about private, what's so bad about private equity? We ever heard of a company called Hertz? You ever heard of J. Crew? You ever heard of Neiman Marcus? All these major, they're all collapsing in private equity. So they've already kind of the essentially they dominate the, the state pension fund, which is the uh, ultimate dumb money. So now they're going after the retail investor, and um, and people need to have savings and and so forth. And but not this is not taught. This is not taught. Um, and and to, to be honest, when you talk to the average person, and I'm going to put myself in that category too, which I probably know a whole lot more about money than the average person. It's this stuff is really complicated. And even when you talk and when you read, I, I mean, out of the the thousands of people that got your book, how many do you? you think actually comprehend what you were saying. So one of my hopes in, in this interview is to break this down where, where the listener can say, okay, you know, Barry, you're on a, you're on a whole different level here when, as it relates to research, but I also want people to walk away with ammunition knowing like, this is, this is why these things don't work. So your first book, you, you open up with most financial products don't work for the long haul. If you were to take a step back and like share with you, my myself and my audience what you meant by that can you explain that <laughs> well luckily because i've been in the business over 35 years too I've, I've seen these things come and go <laughs> yeah you know uh limited partnerships in the 80s where i sold those and those you know and uh, they're horrible and they it, it, essentially they would tie up people's money for for, for decades and that's um a lot of the fancy esoteric um Stuff you know the, the well. I give you a great example. Prior to the dot com meltdown, eighty five cents in every dollar was going into high tech fund mutual funds. Eighty five cents. Okay, and they all crash. Now, why do I say that, Kale? Do you know how many companies which were on the Nasdaq nineteen ninety nine and two thousand are are still? How many how many closed their doors since that time? I have, I have no clue. 75% closed their doors. So you're, you're saying out of the 100 companies, we'll just say, there's a whole yeah. lot more, but out of the 100 companies that were around in 1999, yeah. 
are no 75 of those are no longer are gone. They've been merged or they've gone out of business. Huh. And this is the, I got this data from the economist. I'm not making this up. I wouldn't say this if, if I didn't know it to be true. So, so the whole thing is, is that it's always about using other people's money. And the whole thing during the dot-com meltdown, all these companies, this is where the, um, so what is evolved, Caleb, is that all the money has been controlled from uh, essentially the asset managers. I call it the asset management industrial complex, in which, you know, you have the giants like BlackRock and uh, Fidelity or Infidelity or, or Vanguard. And Vanguard, believe me, they're, you know, they're, you know, uh, uh, State Street, Invesco, all these giant companies. This is this is all public record. They've essentially become the stewards of other people's money. And the thing is, is that when you understand the structure of a mutual fund or even a passive index fund, which everyone loves their index or the ETF, when you understand it, when you understand, when you read a prospectus or you read the, the arbitration agreement, you realize that they actually have absolutely no responsibility. Yeah. So, so as a steward, I'm a Christian, whatever. So I remember if you, if I give my money to you or you give me, you expect me, you would expect me to, to take due care and, custody and protect it as if it was my own. It makes making sense. But what I'm saying when it comes to mutual funds, it's like throw it into this casino and if I yeah. make money, great. Well, yeah, you, you even have a chapter where you say, welcome to the casino age. And, yeah. and that's what you mean. It's just like, there's no due diligence. Pete, you're just putting money and they're packaging it up. And like, it, are you seeing this problem continue? Is that what you meant? when you talk about like the casino age is like you're saving, you're saving slash investing for a someday future. You're giving up total control, which is my biggest problem with the whole system. You're giving, yeah. you're transferring control to other people and, and essentially it's getting squandered. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and people it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's old. The story is as old as man. I mean, it's always about gambling with other people's money. Yeah. When you when you understand the system, and I do, is always about gambling with other people's money, over leverage, and a lot of smoke and mirrors. And, and to me, it's just um, and it, it's not just the U.S. It's in Canada. Like I was talking yesterday with a guy who was executive for wholesale for a major firm. Same thing in Canada. Same thing in Belgium, France, UK. The British are even worse than us. So, so it's not. It's so what you saw is the. The, the collapse of the, the traditional pension for people like your folks or uh, whatever, and uh, it's been been um, replaced by these um, uh, very very complicated mutual funds, which no one can understand. And uh, but now through lobbying um, and uh, and corporatocracy, if you will, it's, it, all these savings have been taken over by uh, by Wall Street and their asset managers. Yeah, I, yeah, it's there's. There's definitely you could go down the rabbit hole on that one subject. You you do talk about you've never met a man. You have actually have a chapter in your first book said never met a man who made his millions off of mutual funds, um, and it, it just goes back to like if you actually look over a long period of time. And and full disclosure, I've not been in this industry for as as long as I dude. You've been alive longer than or you've been in this industry longer than I've been alive, okay? That is true. So, that is correct. What you're saying is in the mutual fund industry or just across the board, people are not actually making a ton of money. The people that have a lot of money in mutual funds have made their money somewhere else and just put that 
Is that it? it could it, yeah, exactly. Well? Sometimes when you have, you, have, you know, some you have to put the money. In. I'm, I'm not against mutual funds, duality, whatever. And I was a big believer in modern portfolio theory, which is the efficient frontier and all that stuff. Yeah. But what I understood it, it's 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 a rentier system, essentially going back to the, uh, this led up to the French Revolution, where essentially they're getting rent, they're collecting rents off other people's money without any um, responsibility or accountability, if you will. Yeah. And so this is this is this morphed into all facets of the of not just the fund business, but also to pensions and so forth. And um, I this I think it's really important that um, that people should there be should should be some accountability. And this is why I started to embrace insurance product because I realized the the contractual guarantees and it says we promise to pay. And no one no none of these fund companies they promise to pay anything. So you, I, I, I want to talk about John Bogle. Um, oh, Jack. Okay. <laughs> and and so he's he founded Vanguard. All right. That's correct. And like he's actually endorsed you, but yeah. I I know in your research, uh, let's unpack this whole index fund conversation <clears throat> because what what people in the financial independence movement will say is, oh. you know, they'll say mutual funds are bad, high fees. Put all your money in the S and P Vanguard 500, and, um, and I'm I'm curious about about your thoughts on that. Well, Jack Bogle, you know, that's a blessing writing from the book. So um, I actually uh, found his address one time, and I shot him an email. I said, you know, he said, "Yeah, I'd be interested in reading about your stuff." And um, so I sent him my books, and he actually read them all. Oh. And he thought it was great because I talked about the Wall Street corruption, the whole thing, and. Um, you know, but I'm also killed. No one does anything for nothing. You know, so it, in other words, someone has to get paid somewhere. And so one of the, the great, so one of the things, and he essentially, uh, I don't know if he invented the index fund, but he essentially the great marketeer behind it. And it's a mutual company. And I, I like mutual companies from, from a intellectual and really uh, ownership perspective, you know, instead of, so I, I like the concept of Vanguard on, on paper. When you when you start to understand the indexing is essentially the, the the index funds have turned into communist funds that there's no accountability. So if I give a great example of General Electric, and I think maybe this is a great example. Let's say Vanguard is the number of years has been the largest shareholder of General Electric. I think it's last time I looked about 14 percent of the shares, but it's still it may be lower, maybe seven eight percent, but it's still a large shareholder. And the thing is, is that GE has gone from a, which is the largest, once the largest industrial company in the world, has gone from a $600 billion market capitalization in 2000, when it was the largest industrial company in the world, to, I don't know, but we can look at the, my phone today, probably 50, 60 million, billion rather. So it's lost 85% of its value. Are you with me? Because of what have you. Now, during this last, um, time between when Jeffrey ML, I call him two Jeffrey, two Jets Jeffrey ML, who used to fly around GE with two planes. He was um he was given and now GE is losing all this money. He blew 24 billion on stock buybacks in 2016, 2017. Uh, um, corporate cash, he spent it on buybacks at, at 30 bucks a share and like $21 a share, but the vast majority around 30 bucks a share, he spent 24 billion of the valuable of GE's valuable cash on buybacks 
And this stock is, what is it? Let's just look. Let's just verify. I'm always a ver want to verify. So the stock today is probably, let's say, um, let's you know, this um, you know, we got to tell the truth. But the stock is maybe like say seven, seven bucks, whatever. Let's give. It's been as low as five recently. So the whole thing is, so the stock has lost all its value. Jeffrey ML blew um, 24 billion on stock buybacks. He walks out the door in 2017 with a $130 million package, by the way, which included $84 million guaranteed annuity, by the way, for your listeners. Okay. (laughs) Has to be disclosed. And on top of the hundreds of millions, he's already met. He already made a GE. Now, why do I bring this up? Who was the head of the compensation committee when um, when this all happened? Because the comp- head of the compensation committee is the most important person in, on a publicly traded company because you're the guy say yay or nay on the pay. It was John Brennan, who was the former CEO of Vanguard. All you Google it, okay? Don't take my, you know. So my point is, so you had the former CEO of Vanguard who's the head of the uh, compensation committee for GE, and he says nothing, and ML walks out the door with 130 million bucks. And then Flannery, his successor, was only <laughs> around like 14 months. He walked out the door with another 24 million bucks. And then they had to go and borrow, um, I think, six billion to fund the pension deficit. So my point is that, so Vanguard's the largest shareholder. It could be State Street, it could be, BlackRock, it doesn't really matter. But I'm saying they're not saying anything about this. So you're saying that if you're going to invest in the market, you have no problem with Vanguard because of their fee structure, but the market itself is just not a great long-term vehicle for the long haul. Well, yeah, it's I'm not I'm not against it. It's it's just the little fee, but there's no accountability. Okay. Yep. And we see that across the board. There's a there's, lack there's of there's accountability, no accountability across the board. Stuff. And so you know, so it, it now also too is it, and, and and Jack Bogle. So this is this is how I. Um, it's a long story, but he I, he prior to be being CEO of Vanguard, um, he was the CEO of Wellington Management, which I really didn't even know, which is my own backyard. You're in Denver. I'm in I'm north of Boston, but Wellington is one of the largest blue blood Yankee managers in the world, and he he was running uh, Wellington was a public company. They kind of threw him out. They went to a private partnership. But it, but it came out, um, it's, a, it's a goofy thing, and this is because I had a contact in the press, but the Jack Bogle was not, he was not cheap on himself. He was making six, seven, eight, nine million dollars a year 20 years ago. That's big money today, and it's huge money back then, running Vanguard. So he's saying, oh, I'm Mr. Low Cost, I'm Mr. Low Cost, when he's getting big money himself. And then I, when he died, he died a poor man, like with 80, 90 million, I don't know. But... Um, but that's, you know, so I wonder but, where I, he put his money. Do you know where all of his money was stored? Well, the funny thing is, is that his son actually runs an actively managed mutual fund in, around Wellesley, Mass. And uh, and actually Wellington Management, even to this day, um, this is another misconception. I don't know if you knew about this, uh, uh, Caleb, but uh, uh, do you know how much Vanguard has an actively managed uh, money right now? I, I don't. Over a trillion. Wow. <laughs> So the big past investor has actually got a trillion, and most of it's with the with a lot of it's with uh, Wellington. So I'm not against it. I, they have a low fee structure, but my point is there's no 
the only people who seem to make out of this are the 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 insiders on this stuff you know and uh, yeah i'd be curious what your thoughts are i i have a statement that i make it i call it ror for return on result and i just want people to take a step back and ask the question what do you actually want out of life? And at the end of your second book, you talk about these 12 areas to focus on. And I love your area number one is invest in yourself. And I just, what, what I want people to start realizing is get super clear on what's important to you and then actually design your life. I know that's shocker, but design your life in, in a way where you spend your time, you use your money, you use your abilities in a way that helps you live that out. And it yeah. seems like Wall Street has hijacked that has shared with us that this is the only way. And so you have people that really want, like they don't really put a ton of thought into it, but they're great people. And they just do what their advisor tells them. And they and it's all like, there's a few people at the top with no accountability and, and, they're, and they're really deceiving a lot of people. That's, that's what it seems for me, reading through your books, doing research. It's like, I don't think there's intent, people intentionally trying to go around and mislead people. I just think there's a lack of accountability and a lot of misinformation. Um, well, I think I'm if you sure. went back to college, by the way, and went to the finance classes that I went through, you would you would want to puke. So, so, so a lot of the stuff. So I realized I had this gift. So I just started. Let's let's figure out how does the structure really work. <laughs> and so what you find is that um, uh, uh, it's it's. This is stuff what Karl Marx talked about, you know, and I'm not a Marxist, believe me, and that's communism is, is worse than capitalism. But but Marx warned about the, the triumph of uh, capital over labor. And this is what's happened. And, and so if you're something like the Federal Reserve or some of these asset managers, these banks, they create money out of thin air. So how do you beat something when you can create out of thin air? So, yep. so a lot of the things... That, so, I, you know, you just want people to be happy and, and to have peace of mind and stuff and, and be uh, uh, better informed because they're not being informed by the media at all. Right. Let's let's uh, let's dive into Boli, Bank Owned Life Insurance. Yeah. And for the person that knows nothing about that, can we unpack what that is, how you do your research and what banks right now own life insurance and why they do that? Yeah. So, um, so, so. The most important thing is, is a bank. Everyone, everyone needs a bank. I need a bank. You, we all need banks or credit unions to work with. Okay, you know, we, we, I'm not, I'm not against all against banks. We all have to use them. So now, but this is crazy because this is recently is that so banks required to have money in reserve, or they were required to have money in reserve. So about three or four months ago, okay. Um, so most people don't understand that if I, if I put say $10,000 in in Denver, say maybe US Bank or Wells Fargo, or Wells Fraud, or they call it whatever, that if they put $10,000 into the bank, the bank you know can lend out their money a minimum nine times, which, which is they, so they create money out of thin air. Now, during the financial crisis, they were levering out much higher than that, and, and now there's no reserve requirement at all, but, but any event, so any prudent man or any prudent institution to keep money in reserve. So when, because hard times come. So we need to have, you know, from, um, we need to have money uh, saved for a rainy day. So let's just think of tier one capital as a rainy day buffer, if you will. So that has to be the mo most safest assets of any of the bank. As a matter of fact, regulators do not want banks to put stock into these funds, okay? Into these reserves, okay? So the regulators- why. Yeah, because they're too freaking volatile. <laughs> so, 
So what, what do they do? So they so the so the so the reserve accounts for for banks are what is called tier one capital. It's the most important asset in the bank, and the larger the tier one capital, the more money they can lend out to the public. All right, and people can go to barryjamesdyke.com and get the book if they want to read. So. So, so all these assets have to be very, very safe assets. So, any event, so, I, so things like gold, treasury bills, high quality mortgages, um, and that type of thing. And then, but also, holy moly, uh, bank owned life insurance. So, they consider life insurance as one of the uh, almost as good as gold. Not quite as good as gold, okay? But even in, in these days, gold is a hard asset, it is it's a valuable thing to have. You're, and you're in Colorado, so you're a lot of people I know like precious metals out there. So my point is, is that so the Federal Reserve and, and you look at you get in the book. Uh, so they said, well, this is a very safe asset. So the bank started to buy it in a big way, and because of the economic benefits it has. Uh, because first of all, the life insurance companies are better managers of money than the banks are. And if if you don't believe me, just look at the dot com meltdown in 2007. 2008, or what's happening now. Um, the uh, There's a guaranteed rate of return within the life policy, which you don't get with an, uh, on a bank. You're, you're getting a tax deferral benefit. Um, you're getting a very large death benefit. Um, so when everyone's going to die, we're all going to graduate. So when people die, the money comes to the bank income tax rate. They, they, the cash value within that policy, within the bank, can be leveraged out to the public. So if if uh, if uh, I say a company like J.P. Morgan, which they do have, I think they have like twelve billion in cash surrender value in their uh, policy. As a matter of fact, I, I can verify that for you. Um, they can lever that at least minimum nine to 10, 12 times. So if they have 10, 12 billion in cash value, they can lend out a minimum nine times that. Um, and so also. When the cash value increases within the policy, because there's a guarantee and then there's a dividend, as you know, um, that actually flows through their income statement. So it's actually good for Wall Street. So when you look at it, it's like these guys get it. Yeah. And so and what a lot of these banks also buy, they bought what is called modified endowment contracts or max. Yeah. And I said, why are they doing this? Why would anyone do this? Well, dumb. It took me about two years to figure this out. But eventually, I did, and I'll share with your audience is that if, if a bank owns a, a, a modified endowment and they convert it into an income stream for an executive pension, which these are used to fund, they get around the 10% excise tax. The, the bank gets a deduction when, when the pay goes out to the executive. The executive's police is punched because the thing's guaranteed, and the and excess of death benefit goes to the, to the bank. Hallelujah! They're in the, kind of like financial heaven. Yeah. And 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 so this is and so I don't know if you but this is what essentially so the banks are buying this in a huge way. Wells Fargo, you know, um, you know, Bank of America, and all these banks. I mean, you know how much these banks have paid in conduct costs and fines, uh, Caleb, since the, 2010. Uh, I guess. I I don't I don't even want to guess. I I don't have a clue. Almost a third of a trillion dollars in fines. Of in just fines alone. Fines and conduct costs. Wow. So I don't I, I don't know. I mean, life companies, you know, they're no saints either. But 
I don't know any life companies that are paid even. Yeah. So what you're saying is, and it's interesting because I, when, when I set life insurance up for people, we don't look at it as an investment, but we very much look at it like a place to store capital. And, and what you're exactly. in your research, you're like, how much, how many banks in the U S are actually doing this? Are most banks? Life uh, well, actually I have the latest statistics on that. Um, the, on the very large ones, um, about 70, 80% of them, uh, for the big ones, you know, um, yeah. the small ones, maybe I'd say maybe 50% overall, Caleb, but you know, um, smaller community banks, maybe not. So, yeah. um, but the very large banks run 70, 80% of the big, I know, big I know guys. the small community bank that I worked for had uh, bank owned life insurance, which is just really <laughs> interesting. Um, let's go into corporate owned life insurance. And I, is it, is it, uh, true that almost every fortune 500 company has some sort of corporate owned life insurance on the books? Um, you have, that's a lot, that's a lot harder work. That's, uh, as you can see my first book, uh, yeah, this is still, um, but you have to go through every, every, uh, uh I actually went through every DE 14A, I think of the name of the filing is to actually discover it. And it's not as popular as it was once was. Um, but it, and it's, it's really hard to dig. So, um, um, but they still, most of the companies do offer in some shape or form, but it's very difficult to dig out now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and so it's a lot of shovel and spade work and no one really wants to fund me to, to do that. But to, now, um, but, but I'll give you an example. Now, do you have Comcast out there in yes. Colorado? Yes. <laughs> and just so you guys know, Coli is corporate owned life insurance. So just like banks take their tier one assets and put it, some put them into a life insurance and sometimes they mech those contracts. Corporations can also do a special type of life insurance that can help fund pension plans and all those other things. And instead of bank owned life insurance, it's called corporate owned life insurance. Coley, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's the same church, different pew. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so. Yeah. So, so the whole thing, yeah, they use it in the banks. The banks have to disclose because it's you and I who back up the banks. Okay. The corporation, they kind of, uh, you have to go through them one by one. And all I have to do is really disclose the, uh, like the, the compensation of the first top five people, Caleb. So it's, um, but, um, a lot of them do, but it, when you understand it, it's like, why wouldn't you do this? So, um, so I, I don't have as much focus on that because it's just a lot of work. You have to find each one, but but to give you an example, Comcast. You have Comcast out in Denver. Yep. Well, the result of a split dollar policy. This is one of the largest life insurance policies I ever heard ever paid. Um, the um, uh, Ralph Roberts, who was the founder of Comcast, they Comcast paid out a four hundred eighty-six million dollar death benefit to the spouse. And that's Brian a, that's Roberts, a big, that's now, a big chunk. And, yeah. and Brian Roberts is now the CEO of Comcast. You know, you want to know why your Comcast bill is so high? Brian Roberts, uh, the uh, who's got two hundred twenty-three million in force now. You know, so um, so why is anyone anyone buys a hundred million? It can't be that bad. I mean, so yeah, yeah. And you're just again going back to the hypocrisy going on in your research. It's like all these companies are saying to do one thing with your money. But then you actually look at the leaders and what the banks and what the corporations are doing. They're doing the exact opposite, which is just, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I, I, uh, when I, I had the opportunity to interview Nelson Nash and 
and it was it was interesting. I, I had dialogue with him. I said, Nelson, we can we can quote unquote hate on the banks, but they are institutions that are just controlling our capital better than we are. And so it's one of these these concepts of like, okay, this is what the banks are doing. Let's do that ourselves. Um, yeah. So. And- yeah, so that's you know, and so that's the uh, so the, so the banks um, have a lot more economic advantages because you know they can lever it out and so forth. But but when I discovered this, I said this is even better for the individual. But yeah. as you know, they read statistics that it's actually dropped. Yeah. So let's let's talk about um, the way that you end your first book. You talk about life insurance is good for the consumer, practical everyday application, and then you also touch on the pension maximization strategy. So. In the research of your first book, which you use the words um, uh, systematically plundering, which is another key word that's coming up a lot, not economically, um, what, like, what application do you want someone that's reading your book? Like, what can they take away from the research that you've done, the research that you're continuing to do? Because it's all like we can get frustrated about what's going on, and I'm a big Stephen Covey fan, and at the end of the day, we got to focus on the things that we can control. We need to, and, and the cool thing is you're actually being proactive and getting this stuff out, but for the everyday person or for the business owner listening to this or someone that's really wants to get ahead financially, they are disturbed. What, what can they do uh, about it? And like, what are you writing about? What was your call to action kind of at the end of the the first book? Well, as my friend Nelson Nash got, yeah, he passed away about a year ago, but, um, you got to learn to succeed from the system. You know, I mean, you get, it's like, um, if you're in a bad relationship, we were, you know, what's the first thing you do? You got to get out of it. Okay. Right. And, and I think really one of the things is really, you know, and I have a, a um, great friend of mine, Gerald Slente. He, he's probably one of the top trends forecasters in the country, if not in the world. So think for yourself. So my point is, is that, yeah, you really want to kind of succeed. Don't, don't, don't buy into the, the Wall Street propaganda, you know, and um, because, um, um, you know, they're going to make money. They're, they're guaranteed their fees and their, and their income, okay? But you're getting nothing in these, in the, in these funds. I mean, let, let, let's look at it. The market was down 20, 21% the first three months of the year. Now it's, it's been uh, pushed back up, but, you know, I, they really, you know, if people want to have a peace of mind and, and control of what they're doing, um, they really need to, um, to think for themselves. But also, but listen to people like you. Um, you know, it's just the because uh, you know, I, it, it, money is not bad. I guess, I guess, I, how can I put it? It's just the, the love of money, you know. And yeah. I guess I don't have that. Agreed. And, and the word certainty comes to my mind. It seems like there's a lot of uncertainty, especially in when we're recording this. And there is, there is something to say about if you are going to make money, um, understand how to put a definition of certainty on that. And, and in so many cases, there's no certainty that people have period when it comes to their money and future retirement. Yeah. And and that's the whole thing. And that's what's done, you know, my, I don't know if you've read my last book. That's where I wrote the book Guaranteed Income because uh, and, you know, as people get older, they want to have some uh, peace of mind in retirement. And um, again, just like the, uh, the first uh, two books I wrote research is that like, holy, um, 
Um, uh, sweet Jesus. I, I, then again, I found that all these big institutions were buying these monster annuities from life insurance companies to finance their retirement plans. And no one's talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, no people, about people like to hate on certain things or when you read a headline um, that says annuities are bad. And oh, we, yeah. we just we live in a headline reading world, which must be frustrating for you because you're actually like going deep, 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 deep. And someone reads a headline and then wants to send hate your way as it relates to the research that you've done, because apparently you're not well researched because I have the ability to read headlines. And so it's it's crazy, man. It this this time is. I, yeah, I'm I'm young. Like, imagine what's going to be like in 40 years. Like, I don't. I guess I don't even want to think about that, to be honest. Um, yeah. So your next book, uh, we you you continue the research. You talk about 401ks. It's funny. I'm I'm gonna have a T-shirt next time I see you that says 401 not okay. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm curious about that. And then you also highlight target date funds. And this is where you really, I mean. Your your subtitle to the Pirates of Manhattan too is the Highway of, of uh, to Serfdom. Which why did you come up with that? Why did you come up with that subtitle to begin with? Well, I said play on Hayek, you know, and you know, road to serfdom. And uh, but what what I realized is that like the uh, talk of the Egyptians, you know, in, in slavery. What I realized is that it's people savings which is funding the Wall Street casino, and they don't have a clue. And what happened is that, you know, like things do happen in Washington and with the politicians. This was this was stuck in in 2006 with the pension protection, pension protection effort of 2006, which was actually another in reality, another airline bailout bill. And um, they wanted to have a, a, a default investment uh, blessed by Congress. So in case people chose it and the money, the, the, the investment went south. The, the employer didn't want any liability and the investment manager didn't want to have any liability. So it was actually nicknamed the Fidelity Relief Act of 2006, but I know a guy was, and so uh, through legislative fiat, um, Caleb, uh, they became essentially the, what's called the QDIA, the Qualified Default Investment Account, um, because, mainly because of lobbying um, by Wall Street, you know, Fidelity and the, and the rest of the companies. And um, and so they became essentially the chosen default investment. Now, the thing is, is that even though they, in 2008 and 2009, during the financial crisis, as you know, in, in my research, and I got all Morningside data, average target date fund lost 30%. Yep. And for the listener, how do you def- describe a target date fund? Because I know you just sent me something recently on more corruption in the target date fund. Uh, but what is a target date fund for the everyday listener? Well, it's, it's, it's these mutual funds. I, I guess maybe they're saying they're, they're, it's like them playing God. And, you know, because we don't know. <laughs> okay. I like that. I, I, I like that description. Well, the, the ask me is being allowed to play God. Because I don't know what I'm having for dinner tonight. Never mind what's going to happen next week or five years from 10 years. We just don't know, Caleb. Would, would you agree? Yeah. So they come up and say, we come up with these asset mixes and these algorithms and so forth um, with a glide path. And we'll mix and match our, our funds to go on a glide path. And so when you come near retirement, the investments, which theoretically should be in bonds, which should be somewhat stable. 
Well, the whole thing is it's it's a chimera, you know. It, it, it it's it's I call it financial sorcery. They really don't know. So anyway, so they're mandated in 2006. So so the mutual fund companies love it. So three companies now essentially. Fidelity, Vanguard, and uh, T. Rowe Price have about 60% of the marketplace. So all these things are going along, okay, and they, but they get hammered. There's no guarantees. And, and you know, if you get lose 30% in one year, you're going to need all, all of that in the next year or so just to get break even. So if you look at the target date funds over a long period of time, they really haven't done that well. Um, but through legislative fiat, they've yeah. become... And now what, what, what I've seen working with even with some public companies and major employers, um, it's been really so some of the benefit administrators have actually what they've done, they've taken out all the investment choices out and they put just the target date funds and then maybe a bond fund and something else an international fund. And that's it. Because they don't want to have any liability. So yeah. so the investment manager is protected, the employers are protected. But the retail investor is thrown out, you know, thrown under the bus. Yeah. And this that, this is what's happened. So, uh, but anyhow, Cerulli Associates was probably one of the best researchers in the industry today. Um, estimates that by 2023, Caleb, uh, roughly 80% of all 401k deposits are going to be going to target date funds. It's crazy. So no one really understands this stuff. I've tried to analyze these things. The SEC is just, you know, you know, did some recent stuff on them. But anyway, so this is what's going on with these. But these are the core investment for people like yourself. Yeah. Um, when you talk about 401k, it's, it's my understanding that um, many companies uh, went from a pension fund or really a pension to uh, 401k plan. And then when you look at the market, is it reasonable to say that the market we saw in an increase dramatically, mainly because of supply and demand, because all you have all this money getting poured into the market, instead of getting um, money funding pension plans, they're funding stock market. Is that, yeah. is that like, is that realistic to say? Well, it's realistic. Well, yes and no, in the sense that the reason why the market's gone up so much because of all the Federal Reserve printing of money uh, going, you know, since the country's gone off the gold standard in 71. So a lot of the market increase in Caleb White's going up just because there's been so much pre printing of fiat currency. So yes, yes, you're, yes and yes, um, but not, also not really just because the, there's so much money and it has to have a place to go. And so what has happened, what is called disintermediation, in economics, which means that when you don't have money and you don't can't get a return in, in a safe place, which is hard to do today, it's being forced into very speculative uh, um, types of savings. People want to catch up; they they've lost. They they, they want to gamble on it and like going to a horse. Um, but so this is what has happened. So it's actually people have been forced into this stuff. And, yeah. and, and and as I say, now it's a lot worse because they're allowing private equity into the uh, funds. I want to want to go now to student loans. You talk yeah. about the subprime bubble and and talk about headline headline uh, reader. I, I actually did read the article, but it I saw that you look at credit cards right now. Yeah. You look at auto loans, and yeah. I, over nine percent of people were in forbearance about a month ago. Yeah. Uh, obviously, at the time of this recording, it's. Um, we are starting to open up our country, but it's still, there's some uncertainty. 
from your research, are what's going to happen as it relates to I, there's like a retirement crisis, a savings crisis, and it's very frustrating to be quite frank because the debt right now, the U.S. debt, has over twenty six trillion dollars with a T. Debt. Over seventy million of unfunded liabilities. So it's like we are. I I sort of feel like this is a ticking time bomb. And from your research and and from your just wisdom, what what what's going to happen? Well, you know, as Mark Twain once said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. You know, and uh, and what was it? Was it? Uh, was it? Word from George Sun. Uh, Santayano said those who don't listen to history, you know, doomed to failure. So I, something to that effect. So, but if you if you if you study empires past, um, and I have, if you study the fall of the Roman Empire, Caleb, or British Empire, the Dutch Empire, or um, the Spanish Empire, you you see that it's always involves like three or four core things: way over expansion of the military. On too many foreign lands. I think we're like in 144 countries now. You see um, a rise of the proletariat or the uh, the administrative class who serves the king and the queen, whatever you want to call it. And then you have um, you have speculation re- re- replacing um, highly value added goods and services instead of you know you know uh, um, and and then you have debasement of the currency. So we've got all four. We got too many, you know. So, and 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 the thing is, so people don't understand. But but it was, it was the debasement of the character which brought down the Roman Empire. It wasn't the barbarians. Interesting. You know. So so this is you know when the when King Dollar comes off is no longer the gold standard or whatever. Um, this is when we're going to run into problems. Um, so so nothing we can do about it. So what we can in our uh, in our work, help people become more independent. Hmm. You know, and, you know, in learning how to, you know. Do you um, do you see there being a a major collapse because of the debt and the subprime mortgages? Yes. When it, you, when it's do you think happen, student, so- Do you think student loans are going to be? Because I see this thing. I by the way, man, I just just came out of college a couple of years ago, and I'm seeing some of my peers. Don't have a clue about life, graduating college, massive debt, and just like I, I just don't understand. Like in my head, it's like this does not add up. No, and this, this is the problem. Is this is why um, you know? So I can understand some of the protests going on. The massive inequality. If you look at inequality from face value, it's actually worse than it was prior to 1929 in the state. Mm-hmm. You know, and and after World War II, we kind of we had this, some type of egalitarian. Uh, but actually, if you if you follow it. Over my lifetime, since 1980, thereabouts, inequality is getting worse and worse and worse. And, and we can go through this. That's a whole other show. But, yeah. Um, so, so people's real wages, and and again, I, and I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm a political atheist. But if you if you see the destruction of the unions and how people's real wages have been hurt a great deal. Um, People are not making money. And, you know, median income, Caleb, in America, I think a family of four is like $59,000. I mean, I live in, you know, in New Hampshire, you know, and just north of Boston. I mean, you can't, you can't live on that around here. I mean, it's expensive. Yeah. Um, so, 
so people did not have the, uh, the, the wages and, and college inflation just out of control. So when people can't afford their bills, what do you do? You give them debt. So you give them credit card debt, you give them auto loan debt, you give them student loan debt, and you give them mortgage debt. All, all of the above are all, all time highs. When Obama was president, the student loan was um, a half a billion, a half a trillion dollars. Today it's like 1.6 trillion. Credit cards are all time high, car, car loans all time high. So what has happened is that, um, and, and my, my point is, is that, um, um, so do I see a, a correction eventually? Yeah, because I don't know, it's just it's like, it's like an ongoing frat party, uh, Caleb. And this has been going on for a long time and it, and it was never cracked after last. Um, and as eventually there will be some major contraction. So, and, and there's a ton that we could go into. I want to highlight, I want to move on to um, you. You actually mentioned Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and talk about the, the advice that they give. Essentially, yeah. Dave Ramsey's advice, I'm summarizing it, pay off your debt, invest in mutual funds, live the American dream. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And I know you, you, I know you had some pretty interesting, strong words for both of them. Um, it, well, yeah, well, Dave, Ram, Dave Ramsey, for one, I mean, I agree with him about the debt in, in a sense, but he was actually going back and researching it, and there's actually a guy I've actually had on my radio show. You go on barryjamesdyke.com, and you go to the Economic Warrior mic out. I forget the guy's name, but anyhow, I, I've interviewed this guy as uh, an expert, and he's got a lot of downloads, but, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey went through his old, uh, own book of Joe, but um, he was an old A.L. Williams, which is buy, term, and invest the difference. And that's where all philosophy went. And um, so all he believed was term insurance. And um, he actually, um, but he says everyone get 12% mutual funds, which is, it's an illusion. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, 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 it's isn't, there's not, not, and, and he's, um, he's good, but he's got a big, um, he's got a big following and you know and, and churches and so forth and i've had arguments with my own pastor about it that you know he's really kind of fleecing the flock not really telling people the truth because if people get 12 percent rates of return there'd be no pension problems or anything like that right now but they don't um so but he gets he gets along with that and he um he's not an, he just he's a, a entertainer um and, 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 and Susie Orman, the same thing, you know, Susie Orman saying, oh, no one should ever buy permanent life insurance, but here she is working for GE and, and who's one of the biggest purchases of permanent life insurance in their own corporation in the world is General Electric. You know, General Electric has, you know, 3,800 people in their deferred compensation plan with yeah. life insurance. So, so again, it's just a hypocrisy with the Susie Orman and, and then, and then Dave Ramsey just not knowing any better, but, you know, just being kind of a bully. And I think you really should, try to be kind and loving and educate people where they're, they're kind of dictatorial. You, you write about, you have a chapter on the plunder continues in your book. Yeah. Now in 2020, how would you describe that as it relates to what's going on? Well, instead of being a highway to surf him, uh, Caleb, it's now an autobahn to surf him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Early, man. And, you know, you're on, we're on the autobahn for surf him. And so we're on a road trip now. Now it's even faster, um, which is and and you know it's just uh, and I, and you know the funny thing is I've been blessed. I get to know a lot of there's some really great business writers out there who know the truth that's going on, but they're kind of frustrated because they only can 
they only can say so much. So I think really self-education is really, really important what we're doing now. Yeah. There's even some, a lot of, I know some good, great people in the journal and the times and things like that. And they get frustrated because they're, they're kind of on a tight leash because they have yeah. to answer their advertisers. Yeah. And we're, well, we're seeing now people getting fired or not, you know, getting in line. And it's one of those things where who owns all the media companies when you think about it. <laughs> Like, There's like six of them, you know. <laughs> and and you said before we were recording, like you you had some pretty crazy thing. Like they've wanted to silence you. What have been some of the things that you've experienced when you came out with this? Because I mean, I could have told you that you would have had some pushback. And um, yeah, what kind of what kind of things have you experienced? Well, no, one time this is around 2010, 2011. I actually was interviewed at length at Bloomberg about my research about where this is where. And we're, um, and um, it's a long story. There was, a, uh, but um, I was actually invited down to uh, their headquarters in Lexington, New York. And it's really cool, Bloomberg inside Bloomberg. They have, and they have this like big atrium and stuff. And and because they want to have some comments on where to put money for 401k. So why don't we use annuities and insurance? Because this is what the bank's putting all their money in. And like the report said, I never heard this from anybody. So it's all true. So I gave them all the research that I'd done. By this time, I didn't finish the first book, and I was working on the second book. And um, what happened is the, um, and I was really excited because you know you've read my book. I went through, I went through my, I went through some really tough times, and uh, so I was all excited. Oh, Bloomberg is going to do it. They were going to do a feature on me. Wow. Make a make a long story short, um, they declined to do it. Um, and when I talked to the editor who I actually, we actually had some mutual friends, believe it or not, she said, we're never going to do it. And, and the woman, I'm not going to mention any names. She said, well, I can't do that because it's going to piss off all our advertisers. You know, so who are the biggest, you know, advertisers on, on Bloomberg, you know, so, um, but that's, you know, so, um, and, um, and so really, you know, so your your asset management companies and your banks. Well, well, Cantar Media out of New York essentially said, you know, the, the three largest advertisers in the United States are uh, automobile companies, uh, cell phone companies, and number three are the asset banks and asset managers. So they're not going to. All these newspapers are going under. Caleb, so are they going to try to, you know, stop the advertising and so forth? They're not. So it, it's it's been it's been so the best way has really been through. Um, advisors like yourself um but the well, irony of the whole yeah yeah and, and i'll say this part of the reason why i want to start a media company is i i want to start taking back control and get this truth out because it's nuts what's going on and pretty soon we're gonna have no voice if if there's not people that rise up and are willing to share things that might not be popular i had to get over that when i was 22 years old to say like if i go down this path I'm not necessarily going to be the most loved person, but I we're, we're going to all die someday. And at the end of the day, it's not going to, I don't want to live life without regret. Like I don't want to have regrets in my life. And so. Well, that's why I did this too, because you know, if you, I think I wrote about in my first book that history does not bode well on, uh, on truth tellers, Cicero and all these other folks. I mean, I think they chopped his hands off or something like that. Yeah. You know, you know, so, you know, so a lot of stuff is like, yeah. People, you know, so, but it's, it's really, you know, I think, you know, really our mission on, on while we're here is to be of service to others. That's right. Um, 
Any anything that you want to um, talk about as far as problems go that you see before? Because I want to end on a better note as it relates to the the end of your book. You talk about what we can do about it. You talk about twelve things. I wrote them down, and I I would I think we can have like a quick fire session where we can go sure. through. But but anything else? I mean, we are literally living in the in the most insane time to be alive. Um, the two thousand twenty has been a rough year to say the least. Yeah. What big picture wise, what, how would you summarize where we're at as a country and where, what are you researching right now? If you had, if you had a day that you could just research anything, what would be an area that you would be looking into right now? Well, I have been working, I think I, I, I showed him in the book on private equity. I've been working on that for about eight or nine years and I've got all the data together on that. And, um, and that's a, it's a big eye opener. Um, um, but that's just, um, I think this stuff is bad. They're all, it's all interconnected, but I think there's always hope. I think you're going to have gratitude. Um, and we do live in one of the greatest countries in the world. I mean, I live in New, in New Hampshire, I live in Seacoast, New Hampshire. I live in a beautiful, beautiful area. You live in, you live in Colorado. I love Colorado. Great state. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we, we have, we have so much to be grateful for. We have, you know, well, a lot of really good things going for you know we're not living in mexico we're not living in um uh yemen where you know or, or things like that so we have we have so much to be grateful for i guess so, so first of all i think we got to think about what we're grateful for um uh, does that make sense yeah i mean so so wh- where would you research right now you're researching in private equity and just going down the ha- rabbit hole with that yeah yeah and it's it and the, and the reason is, is is because the bankruptcies now are just incredible Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, I kind of, I, I knew it was going to happen because it's so highly leveraged, yeah. um, that this is not going to end well. Um, and so just within the past, since what, what are we like six, 16th, 17th of the month of June? Yep. And I think it's just in the past month I've, I've found 13, 12, 13 major bankruptcies. Um, hmm. um, and, and most people don't, you know, um, but the, thank God for the Google and the, just persistence. Um, hmm. But it's all out there in the public domain, but, uh, but people don't, they don't really, um, and most advisors, we talk about private equity, they don't really understand it, Yeah. but it's all about debt and leverage, you know, and, and these are the problems which you're, which you need to really control in your own personal life, uh, before, you know, don't spend what you don't have to impress people you don't like, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's simple yet. Uh, most people are, are falling victim to that. Um, let's talk about. What, what we can do about it. And I love, I mean, you're, you're writing your fourth book, super well-researched, doing pension plans, do life insurance strategies. You help people invest their assets. Yep. And your number, one, your number one area that you highlighted was invest in yourself. You yeah. brought a smile to my face because I'm like, I say this on almost every podcast that I get asked to be on is your greatest investment you can make is in yourself. And yeah. I see so many people devaluing their greatest asset. And so- First off, real a couple sentences. This is kind of be a fire round. What? Why did you put that at number one? And what are your thoughts as you unpack that concept? Because I studied history, and I always found that the most successful people in life always invested in themselves first. And I found in my own life, you know, whether being playing sports or my own businesses and things like that, that's where I get the rate, greatest rate of return from. You know, I, you know, not in gambling. You know, but hard persistent. You know. We know just like sports. Did you play sports? I don't know if you played sports. 
we know if we if we practice some sport and we work in a, over and over again, we practice and so forth. Eventually, we get better if we do the right things. Yeah. Um, and and but when it comes to money management, they're saying, "Oh, we just give it to these guys. I'm gonna gamble with them. I'm not yeah. doing that." So um, so that so I just intuitively knew this, and I and um and I so that was really the key thing there because gambling with other people is just gamble. Number two, you say focus on risk management, not rate of return. Yeah, you deal with really wealthy people, and I, I've been blessed to deal with it. They don't want to. Um, um, it's one thing for people to make money, but when they, when they get the money, they really want to conserve. They conserve what they have. You have all the Yankees like around here. People really want to hold on to money. They're really wealthy. Want to hold on to it. Yeah. Um, not that they, but they work so hard to get it, um, and um, so the. So that's really, you know, risk management. You know, we, that's why even my own practice, we look at how people's casualty insurances are structured and their disability yeah. income, their life insurance, all these other things. Really try to protect them, you know, from the tribes. Anytime people create some money or anything of value, someone's going to try to steal it from you. Yeah. So, yeah. again, so we want to, and, and this is even like in my own practice, we have, we, we focus a lot of money on, on protecting our data for our, our clients. So, Yep. So in other words, protecting what we have. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I'll just comment on that quick risk. It's like only in America do we say increase your chances of loss and you'll be wealthier, <laughs> number one. And then you can't spend a rate of return. And so I, what I've found is so many people think <clears throat> this is what they need to be doing, but they don't understand the result that they're getting. So num- number three, you talk about fail until you succeed. And, and for those of you listening, we're going through what, what very – writes at the end of his book about what, what you can do about this situation that we're in. And so the number one was invest in yourself. Two was focus on risk management, uh, not a uh, rate of return. And then number three is fail until you succeed. Well, I uh, just, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've, I have, you know, I've had a lot of clients and so forth, but people have failed a lot, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the whole thing is just persistence, you know, and I just, the, who is it? Said it um, actually, I have it right here in my uh, my wall. It says, uh, "Calvin, the old Calvin Coolidge quote: uh, quote, Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than an unsuccessful man with with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Uh, education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent." And so I've learned really, I've, I've failed a lot of stuff, um, but I'm just persistent and have faith. That's why I think the spiritual, you know, that gives me, if I, yeah. you know, if I it's pray a, every day, whatever, I get better. Reading Thinking Grow Rich is a big concept for me. Is like the person that can be persistent um, is is going to win in the end. Yeah. Um, number five is be creative. Or no, no, actually, sorry. Number four is educate yourself. Yeah, you know, don't um, don't take my word for it. Um, you know, um, educate yourself, think for yourself, read, read, read books. I don't care what you say, but books are still the best source of concentrated knowledge. You know, read the books, read Creature from Jekyll Island, uh, read my books. Um, there's there's so much good stuff out there. Um, um, you you really have to educate yourself and learn about banking and uh, first and and um, yeah, so start with the creature of Jekyll Island. That's a good place to start for everybody. Number five, you say be creative. Yeah, well, you know, God, I think that the creative um, 
I see this in, in my clients and, and myself and the, even my vendors who I work with, you know, that everyone's got some creative ability. It's I, I God within themselves. You know, it could be in carpentry or in teaching people or um, doing financial planning or, I don't know, um, doing my molecular biology or something like your dad, you said. You know. So we have to be creative and so forth and, 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 and put some, some sense of wonder into things. So I think it, it's, it's, it's a way of uh, meditating and also a way, it's, it's a good sense of relief. And, yeah. um, you know, for me, and I'm writing books and things like that, it's, it's, it's creative work. Um, it's also a form of meditation. Uh, number six, focus on quality. Yeah. 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 You know, quality always sells. You know, I don't care what you say. You know what I mean? You know, it, it always sells and lasts. <laughs> yeah. It always sells and lasts. Okay. You know, I, you know, I, I have, you know, uh, out in the parking uh, uh, lot, I have, a, I have a very high end German car. Okay. And because, you know, it's very, very fast. Okay. But because, because of the quality was the cheapest. No, but I know if I take care of it, you know, I'll have it in the next 10, 15 years. Well, and well, so, you can race against my Tesla and we'll see who we'll see. Oh, who you, oh, you, oh you got Tesla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have a Porsche. So I didn't even 911, you know, so, but you know, so, but, but I, but I don't run out of juice though. <laughs> yeah. You may be fast, but I can just fill up the tank. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So at long term, you're, uh, you're going to beat me on a road trip. Um, yeah. the, the seven, you say stay out of debt and build your reserves, which I think is really should be highlighted during this time because if you look at where companies are at and people individuals no one's got reserves and people are leveraged up to their eyeballs and so you 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 create this massive problem um so i i find that funny that you wrote that five years before um we are now yeah because you know this is the whole thing is i, I learned like you know when like you bought your telcellar i bought my 911 whatever which is and even you was a very expensive car but I, 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 but when you have money in reserve, you can take advantage of opportunities. Totally. Uh, if you don't have any money, you, you're scrambling. I mean, you're you're at the you're at the mercy of the banks or whatever, you know. So, uh, just by by having patient capital, you can take advantage of stuff. Yeah, I. You know? Yeah, I. This is this is something that I talk a lot about, and it's like you. I have business owners as clients, and they're like, they feel like if they have money in a savings account, it's just going to burn a hole in their pocket. It's like there's a peace no. of mind and there's opportunities that come up when the person doesn't have to be fearful and can take advantage of an opportunity. Nelson talked about the golden rule. <laughs> Those who have yeah. the gold make the rules. And I think that's, that's key. Um, number eight, which is really uh, controversial is rethink college. And my friend, yeah. I'm probably going to back this 100%. Well, it's just, you know, we don't have an education system in, in America anymore. Right? We have an indoctrination system. Um, which is really, it's huge business. Um, the educational system is a $600 billion business, Caleb, now. Mm. It's actually bigger than technology. Wow. You know, and and the thing is, is that it really survives off the, uh, the government purse, if you will, the student loans. And um, I just, the, I don't know, um, I, I mean, the cost of private schools like here up back east or any of these schools now, some of them are dollars $80,000 a year. Who can afford that? Yeah. Unless the gazillionaire, unless you're Wall Street or a venture yeah. capitalist or private equity guy or something like that. 
no one can afford that. I mean, very few, very, very few people. Yeah. And so it's really, it's a, um, and, and I'm not, I'm all for education. Don't get me wrong. Okay. And I'm not against, but you know, it, I'm pretty much self-taught in everything I've done. Yeah. People say, how did you become a con, a con, an economist? So I said, no, I'm just pretty self-taught. So, and Caleb, one of my biggest clients, he never even graduated from high school. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he was living out of a tree house. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, he went out to sell his first company for a million bucks when he's like your age. And he's probably at that sense. So I'm not, I'm not against it, but when you understand the system, um, it's, it's, it's more of an indoctrination system. Did you, now I'm assuming, you, did you get a degree at all? Did they I, talk to you? I, Yes, I did. And I, I worked the whole way through, lived with my family and graduated in three years. And so I definitely, if you're going to go to college, I did it the cheaper way. And, uh, but I look back on what I learned and I learned more from talking to people like you and reading your books than I did in the classroom, but it gave me three years to not yeah. feel pressure to have to get a job. I got to learn. And so I indirectly am grateful for college, not because of what I learned, but because of the people that I met and because it gave me three years to figure out my life. But I now have a mindset that if I had, when I first started, I wouldn't need to pay tuition to have those three years of learning. Um, but we just have, we're so pressured in society to go. And it's just interesting. Yeah. So it's just really, it, it just, it's, 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 as I say, now it's bigger than tech and it's because of the government debt. I mean, it's just, they're going to get an income stream and, you know, um, you know, if as a business person, as you know, you have to work very, very, very hard. And uh, yep. we don't get tenure or anything like that. And um, yeah, um, you talk about uh, number nine, find your passion. Yeah. You know, you got to get, you got to what you, you got to get excited about stuff. You, you get up in the morning, you know, like I, I was up here, I was here in my office early. I was here on 630 mm. this morning. Okay. Mm. Um, it's just, well, it's also, it's a beautiful around here in this time of year, in New England, any event, but, um, but when I find like a, um, cause I get excited about writing about books and people, the truth, and it can't be just about the money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, money is, is, is a lousy, you know, it's money's just a result of, of, of hard work. Um, if you, if you do things for money, I mean, some people can, but, um, I know guys who are great surgeons and, and um, and things like that. And it's it's not about the money, although they get very well paid. It's really about um, them doing a better job being of service to others. So, yeah. or, or if you're an artist, whatever. So it's the passion that keeps you going. Yeah. It's you know it's like it's, what I'm I'm seeing in you. I mean. Yeah. Your your next your next point is be of service to others, and I just want to highlight like that this this highlights who you are because the fact that you willing to talk to someone like me write these books really go through hell to get this out um it you're you have a heart of service yeah um number 11 you talk about use life insurance and annuity products which you just kind of like sneak that in there it's like uh you start with invest in yourself da, 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 and then you're like use life insurance and annuity products can you unpack that for a second well, most of the stuff doesn't work, so it's just kind of a natural. So, what does work? You know. So, and, oh, by the way, guys, you've seen if you've read any of my research, this is what all the banks do. You know, and this is what you know, this is what you know. I'm 
British Airways does and General Motors does and TRW and Bentley and Rolls Royce and GE and all these. Oh, by the way, guys, yeah, this is what they're, exactly what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I love that. I love that. Um, and then finally, you talk about become self-reliant and – uh, I think it, it goes back to everything that you're talking about is like, do your research. Like one of your, one of your, one of your points is like, educate yourself and don't just rely on what uh, the media is telling you. Don't just rely on what your professor is telling you. Don't just rely on what your financial friend is telling you uh, because whether it's intentional or not, there's a lot of lies and um, we are on the Autobahn of, of just destruction. Yeah. And the cool thing about this, these, these 12, 12 points that you make is I, I really believe if you take those to heart, that is going to give you the key to unlocking certain things in your life that are just going to be unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah. So they kind of came out. And so it's kind of like, um, but the, yeah, so that's it, being self-reliant, kind of going back to the old American self-reliant and not be dependent upon the state. I mean, you know, this is, this is what, which really bugs me and, well, because eventually all these stimulus checks are going to come to an end. All those unemployment benefits are going to come to an end. Yep. And it's going to get, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I Well, this is not, by, by the way, we've talked about this a lot with this concept of Better Wealth Media. We need people like you to do research. And so this is going to be one of many um, interviews. I, I really appreciate this, Barry. And one of the questions I end every podcast with is not a money related question, but it's taking a step back. And let's say this is your last day on earth and you're yep. with the people that you love the most. Yep. What, what are you going to share with them through the experiences that you've gone through in your life? Like what are, what's going to be that, com what's that conversation going to be like? And what, what are you going to make sure that you talk about knowing that this is going to be your last conversation? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, years ago when I was following, I followed success like everyone else when I had a benefits company and I had these big public companies who were clients of mine. I, you know, it was all about my ego and uh, they say something about ego. Ego was easing God out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I ended up going through a divorce and this is a horrific time. And, and I'm just saying this and contemplate that. And why I'm, I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying now is that I, you know, the my most important thing we, you and I talked offline this before, but I've, I've said this on other radio shows. My faith is the most important thing to me in my life. My faith my family, my friends, my physical fitness and finances. Actually, finance is like the last thing, okay? Um, so, you know, because we're only here on this earth for a short time. And we all eventually graduate. You you lost one of your co-founders. I mean, I've, I, you know, I lost, you know, parents at an early age and things like that. Um, so really be at, at peace with you, with your God and your maker, first of all. I mean, and that's why, you know, and that's how I get a lot of strength to do this stuff. It's not easy. There's a lot of pushback. A lot. I, I, you're a young guy. I'm very, very impressed you're, at your age that you're you're talking about these issues. It took me years to figure this out. And I guess God, uh, you know, so he has a sense of humor. So, um, so he kind of um, uh, he, he he kind of released me when when I was ready. But it, I had to do all this work, you know. And and luckily because of you know, um, I'm done all, I'm, you know, I'm set up 401k plans, I've set up retirement plans, I've sold mutual funds, I've sold partnerships, I've helped bring companies public, all this stuff like that. I know how this stuff works, but I'm saying the most important thing is my faith. And I, if that's, you know, 
those are my parting words. But it's amazing when you when you, when you put everything in his hands. It's just the doors yeah. that open. Yeah, and you, yeah, that we could. That's a whole other episode that we could go down. Um, how I, obviously I'm going to put your website, your some of your media channels in the uh, the description below. I want every single person. If you've watched this whole episode, um, number one, get a life, <laughs> uh, and number two, go get his books and read it because we just scratched the surface. Um, so where can people find you? What's the best way to uh, follow what you're, the work that you're doing? Yeah, go to, uh, I essentially have two websites now, barryjamesdyke.com. Um, they can get the books and they can also, uh, there's a Wix, uh, they can sign up and, they, uh, and add your, your name, your, your first and last name and your email, and we'll include you on a communications list. And then we also have a new, we just re relaunched our new website, uh, CAM. C-A-M-N-H.com is a cast last management. Um, uh, and, and there's some of the people, uh, uh, I, I have some really wonderful people who work with me. I have Rick Darvis, one of the authorities of financial planning in the United States and, and tax guy and so forth. And, uh, and, and a lot of other people. So, uh, um, but so really, and um, yeah, so, so follow us. And also to let your listeners know, also sign up for it. Um, uh, luckily, uh, I had a radio show before, but I'm, I'm going to be doing videos, podcasts like this, video cast. Um, I'm assuming this is, a, this is a video one. Am I correct, uh, Caleb? Yeah, yeah. This will be on YouTube and on our podcast. Yep. Okay, so oh, I'm doing these two, but I'll be interviewing uh, guys like Ted Benna, the guy who founded the 401k, and, um, and a lot of the people. So, uh, I like people, even guys like Noam Chomsky and a lot of other this really uh, authorities, people, truth tellers. I don't care whether left or right, as long as they tell the truth. And um, a lot of uh, good people, Josh Cosman, Dave Walker, Eileen Applebaum, a lot of really top shelf people have agreed to come back on. So, uh, but that's the technology thing. And as you know, um, yeah. it's, it's working. Well, I'm, I'm excited to con see you continue to grow your platform and share the truth. Barry, thank you so much. Um, it is such an honor and I'm uh, excited to get feedback and excited to get this episode out and uh, help pour gasoline on, on something that needs to, needs to be shown. Awesome. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to the Better World Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.